1: Everyone deserves to be safe. The LEAVE Initiative provides mental health support to those impacted by intimate partner violence, also known as domestic violence. We take a holistic approach to help survivors of any age find ways to heal and thrive. Our virtual and in-person services include crisis and individual counseling sessions, support groups, psychotherapy, community-sensitive emergency housing, and linkages to a variety of community resources. The LAVE Initiative is brought to the community by the Jewish Board in partnership with UJA Federation. For more information, contact us confidentially at lave at jbfcs.org. That's L-E-V at jbfcs.org or
0: 646-273-1800.
1: Hi, I'm Adasa Stein. I'm a fourth year medical student at SUNY Downstate. I serve on the JOMA Teen Health Committee and an interviewer for the JOMA Specialty Spotlight Podcast. The Specialty Spotlight podcasts are geared towards pre med and medical students interested in learning about different medical specialties and career paths within medicine. Today, I'll be interviewing Dr. Alan Kadish. A graduate of the Albert Einstein College of Medicine at Yeshiva University, Dr. Alan Kadish received postdoctoral training at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, an affiliate of Harvard Medical School, and at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, where he was a fellow in cardiology. He is board-certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular disease, and cardiac electrophysiology. Prior to joining Turo in 2009 as Senior Provost and Chief Operating Officer, Dr. Kadish taught at the University of Michigan and held a 19-year tenure at Northwestern University. He served Northwestern as the Chester and Deborah Cooley Professor of Medicine, Senior Associate Chief of Cardiology Division, Director of the Cardiovascular Clinical Trials Unit, and sat on the finance and investment committees of the Northwestern Clinical Practice Plan. An accomplished and prolific research scientist as well, he has published over 250 peer-reviewed papers, received numerous grants including from the National Institutes of Health and National Science Foundation, and contributed to several test- textbooks. Dr. Kadish is a past chair of the Clinical Cardiology Program Committee of the American Heart Association and has been elected to prestigious scientific research and education societies, including the American Association of Professors, the American Society for Clinical Investigation, and the American Society of Physicians. Dr. Kadish, who was born in Brooklyn, raised in Queens, and educated in yeshivas in New New York, is married with four children. Hi, Dr. Kadish.
2: How are you? Good to be here.
1: Uh, So our first question, Why did you choose a career in medicine and what characteristics make one a good fit for a career in medicine?
2: I became interested in medicine when I was a teenager. Uh, I always liked science. And uh, somewhere around 15 years old, my uncle had sudden cardiac death. That is, he was waiting at a bus stop, had two relatively young daughters, uh, was in his uh, 50s and uh, passed out and died. And I uh, actually became interested not only in medicine, but in my ultimate career choice at that time, which was cardiac electrophysiology. And one of the things that uh, I worked on and that cardiac electrophysiology deals with is how to prevent sudden arrhythmic death, which is presumably what my uncle had. Um, Perhaps that wasn't the only reason I chose a career in medicine, but it certainly was a defining event in my life that focused me on it. Uh, the combination of liking science and, uh, hoping to do some good, I think is, uh, what led me to a career in medicine. And certainly as with every Jewish family, there was plenty of family pressure suggesting that maybe that's what I ought to do. So it kind of all worked out in that way.
1: It definitely sounds like that would be a life altering event. Um, and what characteristics, uh, to talk to the second part, what characteristics do you think would make someone a good fit?
2: So I think there are a lot of different characteristics, depending on what you want to do in medicine. I, uh, but I would say that um, for most areas of medicine, uh, you sort of have to like the science part, want to interact extensively with people uh and also quite honestly uh not mind working hard the ability to multitask particularly as medicine has evolved these days is also i think extremely important
1: yeah i would agree the the, the floors get pretty hectic so being efficient and also being hard-working Uh, And also like, you know, you're saying it like being able to and enjoying interacting with people because besides your patients, your team members, um, the rest of the team, the staff. So that's a large part of it as well.
2: Yeah. And, and, and families and colleagues from every, from other places. So it's important.
1: Um, So I guess you kind of spoke to this already. Um, Why did you decide to go into the field of cardiology?
2: So I talked a little bit about it already. Um, Cardiology kind of always made sense to me. And it was also a chance to combine diagnosis with doing procedures. And uh, I enjoyed both of those. And this was a way to do both and to do research. uh, It's obviously a a major clinical problem in an active field of both basic science and clinical investigation. I, I had a chance in my career to do both of those. And so cardiology was a good fit for all those reasons.
1: Yeah, I have to say, I I didn't actually really know all the procedure part of it, um, but I had a attending who was covering um, during my sub by the general medicine floor. Um, He was a cardiologist and he was saying how he was doing electroversion procedures and um, exactly how they actually find the focus of the arrhythmia. So it's pretty cool stuff. (laughs)
2: Well, I was lucky, uh, not only that it was something that was interesting, but during the time I I practiced clinical electrophysiology, things changed enormously. Now that happened, of course, in every piece of medicine, but in some ways in electrophysiology, it changed even more than it did in other areas. And so things that are rapidly changing, evolving chance to do research, a chance to keep up with new, exciting things, a chance to do better for your patients, all that, uh, was a characteristic of what I did. And I was just lucky to uh, be in that field at the time it happened.
1: Yeah, your patients were lucky to have you as well. Thank you. Um, So uh, this is a a little bit of a long question, so bear with me. Um, There are many career focuses medical students might envision themselves pursuing, whether that be more clinical, administrative, academic, et cetera. Um, what drew you to academic medicine on completion of your fellowship in cardiology?
2: I always liked doing research and teaching, and so academic medicine seemed like a natural place to be. I had a chance to be at some really good places uh, and work with smart, interesting people who were uh, always pushing the edge on clinical practice, and all that was seemed interesting. Um, There were some brief periods where I thought about going into private practice, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to give up the chance to do research and teach. And uh, so I stayed working for academic institutions for my entire career, Uh, never worked anyplace else pretty much, uh, except Macy's on some intercession when I was a college student to make some money. So other than that, I've always worked for universities
1: yeah, someone who, like myself, I was a teacher for a year. I love teaching. Um and I think research we it it is really like nice to be able to provide that hope um for patients. and it's exciting, I think, to be on the forefront of medicine. So I see the appeal for that as well.
2: yeah it's become harder a little bit to marry a research and clinical career. That used to be a very common career path. It's become more challenging to be very heavily involved in research and also be an active clinician. As both research and and clinical medicine have advanced and become more complex, combining the two is not an easy career path anymore. It used to be kind of normal and it's not really anymore. So I think um, it's important for students to carefully think about how to balance those things. And in most cases, uh, even at universities, these days, um, the institutions try to characterize faculty members either as doing primarily research or primarily clinical medicine. Now, clinicians, of course, also will do some clinical research along with their teaching, but it won't um, it won't be uh, a kind of equal marriage, so to speak, between research and clinical medicine. I think uh, the more accepted career path these days is to focus heavily on one or the other.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've noticed I, you know, also in interviews that they they divide like the community practices, I guess, versus academic, um, and community, I guess, tends to refer more to clinical practice um, versus academic.
2: Right, but even those who are in academic clinical practice mm. um, are doing these days primarily clinically focused research, as opposed to jumping back. Uh, between basic and translational research mm-hmm. and clinical medicine.
1: So there's like that divide as well. You're saying like between translational and then clinical.
2: Yeah, I, as an act, as a clinician in academic medis- medical center, one almost expects to do clinical research, participate in clinical trials, but not so much, although of course there are exceptions, not so much um, to design studies veteran investigator-initiated, and um, write individual papers uh, as opposed to participating in clinical trials. It's still possible, but it's become more challenging than it used to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. This, uh, this is like news to me also, I guess, the, the sort of divide I always like to learn on these podcasts. Um,
2: well, happy to try to help.
1: <laughs> uh, so this leads on to our next question. Sure. Can you tell us more about your research interests?
2: So I actually had very varied research interests, which from a purely academic standpoint may not have been at the time the best thing in the world because the most successful researchers, quite frankly, concentrate on one area and continue to do that. Um, in, In my career, I worked almost exclusively on heart rhythm disturbances, but I did some very different things depending on what I saw as important at the time and what interested me. So I did some basic research on the structure of fibrillation, which basically means atrial and ventricular fibrillation are rapid heartbeats from the upper and lower chamber of the heart, respectively. And uh, uh, you know, I would say up till uh, 35 years ago or 30 years ago, people used to think that they were completely random. And some of the work we did was to try to find structure in fibrillation and also try to understand what the implications of that structure for drug, or curative therapy might be. Uh, We also did some work on the autonomic system and arrhythmias, um, both basic and clinical research. And then um, a bunch of clinical trials, including some on defibrillator therapy for heart rhythm disturbances. some of the work that I did actually is still going on 15 years later, because in the last 13 years, I haven't really been able to focus extensively on research. So we have a project on gene therapy for atrial fibrillation that uh, Rishi Aurora, who was in my lab at Northwestern, has taken over, and a project on whether genomics and proteomics, so what genes you have and what proteins are expressed, can predict... Um, sudden death in people with coronary artery disease, but not a lot of left ventricular dysfunction. And that project was kind of taken over by Christine Albert, who was at the Brigham and is now at Cedars-Sinai. But those two projects, I I still participate in to some extent. They're still ongoing sort of 13 years later. Uh, The gene therapy project, because everything just has taken a long time. Uh, The sudden cardiac death project, because we needed years of follow-up to see who would experience sudden death. So, um I'm still involved in those two projects we have a couple of smaller new ones but now I spend most of my time on administration
1: really fascinating um can you walk us through a typical day as president of Toro
2: I actually can't because there is no typical day um I spend probably 20% or 25% of my time on fundraising um 25% of my time on academic administration, 25% of my time on operational administration, and 25% of my time on new programs and putting everything together. Uh, But it varies day to day. Um, I travel a lot because we have campuses in a lot of different places, particularly when we start new campuses, we have a new medical school, osteopathic medical school campus starting in Montana. So I've done a bunch of traveling to Montana recently we have a new research institute that's quite large called Lovelace Research Institute in Albuquerque that's become part of Turo. So I've spent some time there as well. And we have some other new programs being planned. Um, so with that kind of a schedule, I don't really have a fixed day-to-day schedule. Uh, sometimes I'm in the office, sometimes I'm traveling, sometimes I'm working remotely. And um, every day is different, which is what keeps things interesting.
1: Yeah, it sounds very exciting um so uh our our next question uh this is a multi-parter okay. um so can you speak to your changing is all
2: of the above one of the choices
1: uh <laughs> i guess uh you can you can decide <laughs> <laughs> um can you speak to your changing roles in your career thus far um as a trainee then professor of medicine and now president of Turo? In hindsight, what juncture was the biggest transition to you, and did you imagine yourself in a leadership position, or were there particular instigators to change?
2: So, um, unlike some other people in what you sort of told, uh, I did never plan to be in a leadership position. I was very happy with what I was doing. It came around uh, completely accidentally. I'll tell you that story in a moment. Um, but, um, uh, I think my career up till my move to Turo w- was pretty traditional in the sense that, um, I did a research and clinical fellowship. I was an instructor, then an assistant professor and then, a prof- you know, associate and professor at Northwestern, um, and, uh, moved around for training and then, um, in you know my first academic job um there were some personal factors involved in the move from michigan uh when i was at michigan it was actually a phenomenal place uh i think i was working with the best person in the world in my field fred marati a syrian jew who had incredible creativity and energy and was brilliant um and was also a wonderful person to work with um but uh there wasn't enough of a jewish community in ann arbor for us to feel comfortable And commuting from Detroit uh, in the middle of the winter wasn't anybody's idea of fun. So I probably left Michigan sooner than I would have on a pure academic basis. Uh, But I got an opportunity to go to Northwestern and and was there for 19 years. Um, And was thinking about leaving when um, my brother-in-law was asked by the uh, search firm if he knew anybody who might be good for the Turo job, because it was a very difficult job to fill. Uh, Turo was started 50 years ago. There was only one president before me. Uh, He was 94. Uh, And first of all, no one thought he would ever retire, which he didn't. Uh, Unfortunately, he passed away six months after I came to Turo. But also, no one really wanted to follow um, a very successful founder. So it was a very difficult job to fill um and uh the headhunter was kind of asking everyone he knew if uh there was anyone who was available so my brother-in-law recommended me uh and um it seemed like a phenomenal opportunity for me for a bunch of reasons one was that um doing something different i felt would be invigorating in some ways as much as i loved what i was doing and things were still new with every patient and every research project doing something different seemed like it might be invigorating and it has been um secondly uh i probably worked 70 hours a week on average and it really didn't leave a lot of time to be active in the jewish community although i did some things and this was a chance to work with the jewish community which is something that i really liked uh and uh it was a challenge, particularly with Turo's interest in getting more involved in medical education, health science education was a challenge and uh, I enjoy challenges. So for all those reasons, um, it actually seemed like a really good fit. Uh, it took a few months to negotiate coming to Turo, but once we did, uh, it's been a phenomenal 13 years. I think I have a very unique job. I think it's the best job in the world, quite frankly, and uh, I love doing it, but it didn't happen for any through any plan it just happened
1: wow and it's it's great to hear that you still have the same passion and enthusiasm as the beginning
2: yeah that uh that doesn't go away uh no there it's a complicated job and stuff happens every day so uh it's not without its uh tough sides but uh I believe in what we're doing and I really enjoy it so it's great
1: um so uh, our next question, what are you most proud of since joining Turo and what do you envision for Turo's future?
2: Um, I think that uh, I'm most proud of the fact that we've kept to our dual mission, which is to help support the Jewish community and to fill educational gaps where we feel we have unique talent in doing that. So. Um, I think uh, the quality of both the physical facilities and the education at our undergrad institutions has improved dramatically. Uh, We're getting some great students who we think are going to be future leaders in the Jewish community, Um, and we've also uh, we're doing more in terms of working with other institutions in the community and providing education to the community. And so that um, support for the Jewish community is something that I'm proud of. It's part of our mission, and I. I think we've done that well. The, the second piece of it, we fill gaps in a lot of ways, but uh, it's been particularly gratifying uh, to do what we've done in health sciences, uh, which is uh, to continue to grow health science education because we've got community need and we've got student demands. So since I've been at Turo, um, we've started uh, two new osteopathic medical campuses. Uh, one in Middletown, New York, and one that's opening in Montana. We've expanded to others, one in outside of Las Vegas and one outside of San Francisco. New York Medical College has uh, become part of the system. Uh, so, Turo, uh, once these campuses are fully up and running, uh, Turo will have about 3,500 medical students. So, uh, and we think that the students get a great basic science and clinical education, but are also taught that an important part of being a physician and 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 a human being is to give back to the community. So that's a feature of all our um, schools. We ground it in the Jewish Jewish tradition. Although of course we don't um, teach Judaism to uh, our medical students, except in classes that are available if they want it. But we think the idea of getting a great education and giving back to the community and serving humanity is a really important part of being a physician. I think we do that very well, and we have thousands of medical students who we think benefit from that education. So we're very excited about that. A lot of other things we do as well, but those, I would say, are the two things that I'm uh, most proud of.
1: Yeah, it is really incredible, the imprint that um, Turo has made and continues to make. Thank you. Uh, so if you could go back in time, given the experience and perspective you have now, is there anything you'd want to have done differently?
2: So on a micro level, perhaps I could answer that, but on a, uh, a larger level, I would say is, uh, I've spent, uh, decades trying to be sure that I don't do that, which is, revisit decisions or things, uh, that I've done primarily because I think it's, it interferes with looking forward. Um, I've been considering myself extraordinarily lucky. I had an opportunity to get a great education, um, and, uh, do some very exciting things in my career. Uh, and so while I could pick apart a thing here and a thing there, uh, on a major on a major level, I've been extraordinarily lucky. I'm really happy with what I do and what I've done. And uh, I think looking back, uh, rather than looking forward, is not the way to move forward. So sorry for dodging yeah. the question, but uh, yeah. I really do.
1: No, that's great. I like I like your uh, the optimistic attitude. It's it's very true. Um, so in our last question what advice would you leave to the pre-med and medical students listening to this podcast with?
2: Um, I think medicine is a phenomenal profession. You get a chance to do interesting things, to think, to interact, and to help people. Um, There are going to be a lot of changes. Uh, Technology continues to have an increasing role in medicine. And... The trend towards changes in compensation will probably continue, although I think it's actually been overblown a little bit. If you, if you look at surveys of actual salaries as opposed to reimbursement per procedure, um, there hasn't been as much of a change in physician's compensation uh, as people think. Maybe a few very high-end people have felt some of those cutbacks, but in terms of an average salary, the changes haven't been that dramatic. So um, I think it's a great profession, and I would continue to encourage people to do it. I think um, there are challenges, uh, particularly for Orthodox Jews, and how to balance practice, family, lifestyle, and work. Uh, But I think there are a lot of outstanding examples of some great physicians who've shown that it can be done and done well. And done in a way where you can feel comfortable uh, remaining from and remaining committed to judaism and uh either serving the community directly as a physician taking care of them or serving the community in other ways so i think it's a fantastic profession i i think you should be encouraged if you're interested to continue to do it but i think you have to recognize the challenges uh Stress, dealing with critically ill patients. Workload, uh, unless you work in an increasingly common group of jobs where you have a fixed hourly schedule. Um, and uh, the challenge of recognizing that no matter what physicians do, Hashem sometimes has its own plans. So you have to be prepared for the fact that you're going to fail sometime. Uh, but, as long as you can handle those things, it's a fantastic profession. and I encourage you to think about it and continue to do it.
1: Thank you. Um, I could say, um as part of JoMA, it's been a really big inspiration for me to look at uh, many Orthodox women ahead of me who um, have achieved that balance. So um, it's been it's been helpful for me as I go through this path. And also, I think like speaking to what you say, being okay with failure, Um, And it's more like it's going to happen. And how do you deal with that when it comes? I think that's a really important point as well.
2: So someone asked me uh, a couple of months ago, you know, what's the limit to what women can do? So since you talked about the inspiration of other women graduates, I'll tell you about one who went to Tarot, graduated a couple of years ago. Uh, She actually went to medical school uh, after she had six children. Uh, had been interested in science and decided to go to medical school with six children. Um, She had three more while she was in medical school, graduated in four years as valedictorian of her class. So when people ask me, what's the limit to what women can accomplish and remain from and uh, dedicate to their family, it's a question of uh, how hard you want to work.
1: That is incredible. (laughs) Wow. I have a a new uh, role model. (laughs) Add it to my list. uh, Thank you so much, Dr. Kiddish.
2: Sure. Have a great day.
0: Great speaking with you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.